Hello everyone and welcome back to Hey Look Listen. My name is Liam Sheehan and I'm joined here by Kev O'Carroll. Kev, welcome back to Hey Look Listen. <laughs> Thanks very much, buddy. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no worries. Um, Kev and I were having a talk recently, as we're wont to do, as Kev is now becoming a main fixture on this podcast. I was like, what kind of games do we want to do? And what, what did you say, Kev? Uh, I said that I'm not really interested in video games and I wanted to yeah. talk about Dungeons and Dragons instead. No, only video games. <laughs> Emphasis on the video in this podcast. No, actually, do you know what? A Dungeons and Dragons episode might be good sometime. We might uh, sidestep into other forms of nerd culture ever so slowly. What do you think of that? I think it's uh, something to keep in mind down the line for sure. But for down today... Line, we're definitely not doing it today. No, but what I was getting at is we, we were just chatting and we came up with a bunch of cool ideas for episodes we can do down the line. Yada, yada. But for this one, we were just like... Let's just do several games, essentially. We're going to do um, indie games today, Kev. But uh, but how we're going to do this is we've each chosen three. Three that like um, we want to talk about that maybe couldn't fill an entire episode. Yeah, for sure. So hopefully we're going to be able to give kind of a, a scattergun approach <laughs> and throw out a couple, of, a couple of recommendations, a couple of games that people might be able to look into. Well, then we haven't told each other either what we're doing. So this is kind of, there's kind of a surprise element for us as well in this episode, which, which is exciting. So if it ends up, we end up, how we both chose the same game, you know, I guess we're talking about five games. But if we end up choosing three of the same game, that'd be funny, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, if we all pick, if we pick the same games, at least we'll have a lot to talk about. I don't know about you, but before we get into it, um, my kind of um, how I did the selection was, I, like, 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 like I said a second ago, Games that like I think are really cool. Like basically, our only criteria here is they're indie games. So, Kev, if you chose three Assassin's Creed games, I need you to change your list really quickly. Okay, two seconds. Yeah, yeah, can't do that yeah. now. Just so it... <laughs> deleting just Anthem three times. <laughs> yeah, the only criteria is that they're indie games that we want to talk about. They can be from recent times. They can be from years ago. And the way I chose mine was. One games that I think are really cool, but I I don't think could like fill an entire episode. But like I don't know where else I would get them onto this podcast kind of way. And I was actually literally today I had one chosen, and I was like, do you know what? No, no, I want to do. I want to give this one more of a space okay. in a in a full episode. So I actually changed my mind. Really, isn't, isn't that isn't that an, uh, an exciting insight into my process? Yeah, I mean, obviously this game means a lot to you. I really hope it's not one of the ones that I've picked now. I'm going to sort of... <laughs> That's a good point as well, actually. Yeah. Maturely blow a load on it. No, okay. <laughs> but actually, if you do prematurely blow a load on this game, I'm actually just not going to say it. Uh, I, oh, yeah? I, 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 no, I'd be too embarrassed now that I've said I want to do a full episode in this game and then you choose it. Oh, I'd actually be too embarrassed. Okay, so Kev, do you want to go first and list out your... I'm actually really excited to hear um, the three games you chose, but... Uh, I'm kind of also now nervous that we've chosen the same games a little bit. Yeah, so basically my logic when I was picking the games was kind of along the lines of yourself, that I wanted a couple of indie games that I really wanted to talk about. I started picking out, narrowed down to maybe four or five, and I was like, these guys are all, you know, 10 out of 10s. These are masterpieces. These are games mm. that I'm obsessed with. And I was like, mm, there's room in this for, for other games as well. So I decided to pick two games that I think are pretty much perfect. And then one indie game that I think is pretty okay, but interesting and worth talking about. That, that's sometimes the best thing about an indie game is where yeah. weird little games get spaces to exist, but aren't, you know, they don't have to blow your mind, but they can be little, little, little tiny gems. Yeah, exactly. Like not every game needs to be a 10 out of 10. There's a lot of room in the world for like a 7 out of 10 game that does something interesting or something different. And that's, 
that's one of the games that I've picked out here. So now, what um, about what about a six out of ten game? Is the room in the world for them? <sighs> yeah, but like get a discount. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, do you want to fire away with your first one? So. Okay, so the first game that I've chosen to speak about is the one that I am concerned there may be some overlap or it may be. Let me interrupt you. I have one as well, one that I know you love. I know you love it. So that's I'm also concerned. This is not like the biggest concern ever, but now the more we talk about it, I'm like, oh God, did we choose the same game? Do you want to say it together on the count of three? No, I don't actually. I don't. No, you just go. Go ahead. One, two, three, Hollow Knight. No, I didn't choose Hollow Knight. Okay. <laughs> but uh, amazingly, I didn't choose Hollow Knight because Hollow Knight's one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah, awesome. We can go back there and like edit in you saying like Croc at the same time I said Hollow Knight, right? <laughs> I just didn't say anything out of fear. I know. No, it'd be much cuter if I edited in just me going Hollow Knight and we're both like, ah, well, and then we, we high five or something. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. make sure like do it in like a different tone of voice and maybe on a different microphone. <laughs> so it's really obvious. <laughs> yeah, there's rain in the background. Um, yeah, so Hollow Knight um, is a sort of 2D Metroidvania game published and developed by a crowd from Australia called Team Cherry. Um, it is one of my favorite games of all time, and I think that's probably true for you as well. It really is, yep. Really, really is. It's um, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, so it's, like I said, it's a 2D Metroidvania. Now, there is a conversation to be had about what is or isn't a metroidvania what games fall into that category what games are sort of given that term and might not necessarily deserve it that conversation is incredibly tedious let's not have it Hollow Knight um, is definitely a metroidvania right yeah but i like i've seen people make the argument um including notable video game critic tim rogers that a metroidvania isn't a metroidvania unless it has the sort of the castlevania style rpg mechanics as well no yeah, that'd be my idea as well. No, this is I, gaming genre naming and conventions is really shit, which is why all this confusion happens. But it's literally an amalgamation of Metroid and Castlevania. That's where Metroidvania comes from. It comes. I think you have to be a Metroidvania game by having being two D, non linear um, adventure uh, exploratory games, right? Okay, but uh, you said 2D, so... Oh, you, oh, you don't need Prime to Trilogy. Oh, uh, no, that, no. You're, you games. got me there. Got me, got me fucking red-handed there, now, is, didn't you? This is exactly the conversation I was trying to avoid. <laughs> I can hear the subscriber count going down in real time. <laughs> go on, go on about Hollow Knight, which is a Metroidvania. Which is a Metroidvania, <laughs> yeah. It's, um, so, uh, it's... Basically, you play as this uh, little bug boy. Um, he yeah. uses a little nail as a sword. Um, and you sort of explore this huge interconnected map. You go around fighting bosses. You gain new abilities that give you the the options of exploring new areas or getting to places that you couldn't get to before. Um, it's your standard Metroidvania fare. It's just done really, really well. Um, I think one thing in particular that I love about this game, and I think it's something we've discussed before, Liam, is the boss fights mm-hmm. are absolutely cracking. Um, I'm thinking in particular the the Mantis Lords boss fight where you fight multiple bosses at once coming in off the different sides of the screen. Well, it's not even that. You kind of you go down and there's like a Mantis Lord just sitting on a throne and you stand in front of her and you pull out your nail. Yeah. Like, she doesn't attack you first. And it, isn't it only like a third way into the fight where two more join join mm-hmm. that? And you're kind yeah. of like, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. And that's a purposefully designed boss where it's, re- it's much harder than the beginning of the game. 
Now, it's doable at the beginning of the game if you're quite good, but it, uh, for me, it was one I had to return to. So it, it was one of the early moments in Hollow Knight where, you know, the real kind of like, oh, God, I'm fighting three bosses at one time, all of a sudden, the kind of real kind of this game is tough. Yeah, I think that fight kind of serves a similar purpose as like the the Margit fight in Elden Ring. Yeah, kind something, of a, something yeah. you can get to relatively early on where it'll probably kick your ass, but it kind of is teaching you, you don't have to be here yet. You can go do other shit instead. Exactly. Yeah, I think I left those for like more than half the game. Yeah, I definitely did them late as well. I'm wondering, are there any other boss fights in, in Hollow Knight that you um, were a big fan of? What's the what's the dung, the dung knight? Is that his name? Oh yeah, yeah, the the loathsome dung eater. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I know no. what I mean. I think I think it is the dung knight. Yeah, he's not even one of the best fights mechanically, but he's a big pompous knight who's a dung beetle, and he's like rawr, 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 when you're fighting him and stuff like that. And he's great. <laughs> yeah. and it's just it just it's just Hollow Knight is just oozing charm in every kind of area you go into and every kind of NPC slash boss fighter. Just just so full of personality, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's um. There's a lot to be said for the the sort of the the art direction in that game. Oh god! It, like, yeah. it all takes place in a sort of a warren of underground, interconnected areas uh, that could, in sort of lesser hands, have been very samey. But the way that sort of the art is designed, the way there's the the use of like different color palettes to sort of signify the different areas and the different biomes, and in particular the uh, the soundtrack, really mm-hmm. gives every area has its own distinct personality. And when you enter a new area and see a new shade of colour and a new track starts playing, it feels significant, you know? It, it's not, we were talking about what makes Metroidvania, and like this isn't something that makes Metroidvania, but my introduction to this genre would have been Metroid games, obviously, and Metroid are both really um, solitary and really subterranean. And I think Hollow Knight carries that candle, that spirit, very well. It, it's, it just it feels like a, a constant descent downwards, and it just feels so very lonely so very melancholic and like you said it's the music it's the art design of these places they're so vivid yeah absolutely and i think another thing that sort of leans into that loneliness is is the game also pulls a couple of influences from the dark souls games yeah um, particularly it has that thing where you know killing enemies nets you currency xp i can't actually remember what it's called in the game which when you die you drop it and when you respawn you can try to get back to the point where you died and regain your currency and if you die again you're shit out of luck it's actually my least favorite thing about hollow knight yeah it yeah do, it's like it's perfect i can't speak for dark souls all that much it's perfect in bloodborne it's perfect in elden ring i don't know if it, it dealing with deaths in games like this is very difficult to do in the modern age because there's no more lives there's no more putting coins into arcade machines so how do you deal with that and i think that's a good one i just think it kind of limits your kind of it it, it disencourages exploration sometimes it puts you on a singular path. If I go down a long path, and that's that's very difficult, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like I should be going this way, but I'm all in now, and I die halfway down it, I'm going to go down that path again to get my my shit back. I'm not going to kind of go, oh, I'll leave that path for some some other time, you know? Yeah, yeah, I get that. I see. I would, on the other hand, see that it kind of it adds a sense of tension to exploring that when you're venturing off into the unknown, and it is yeah. unknown because of the game's excellent map system, which I'll get mm. onto in a sec. But when you're venturing off, you have this sort of knowledge that if things go wrong, you know, you're going to have to try again if you want to get your currency back. Yeah, it does make you afraid of being of dying. Yeah, and that's that's a, that, that map system that I was on about is one of my favorite things in the game where it's not like, 
in some of the newer Metroid games where your map uh, fills in when you uh, explore, your map fills in when you find a map station. In this, there's an NPC in the game who is a cartographer who makes maps. Every time you get into a new area, you need to find him. So you'll follow a trail of little pages on the ground. When you get close enough to him, you'll hear him humming. So you, you'll recognize him. That's him. Yeah, pretty solid. Thank you. Um, yeah, so it's like you have to track him down, find him. He gives you the map. And even that's still not enough because then you need to explore to fill in your map. But yep. you don't fill it in room by room. Your yep. guy will only take the time to fill in a map when you get to the bench, which is like the, the checkpoint. It's the bonfire from Dark Souls or whatever. So you have this tension where if you want to explore more and fill in your map, you need to venture away from your bench. But you know that you're not going to be able to fill in that map details unless you find a new bench or find your way back to the one you were just at. Exactly, yeah. So that coupled with the the sort of the corpse run to recover your resources means that every time you explore, there's this little bit of tension where you're like, I could definitely explore one more room. I can go one more screen over. But if things go wrong, I'm fucked. And yeah, and it definitely makes you super happy to find these things. Like it's always a joyous occasion when you hear that map maker singing. And it's always a joyous occasion when you finally find a bench, especially when you're in new difficult areas. Like to compare it to Metroid Dread, which came out last year, which is a fantastic mm-hmm. game, um, that put a very modern checkpoint system into the game. And I understand why they did it, because people these days don't really like doing things over again, you know, and especially when in Metroid Dread it had a lot of um, stealth sections with one hit kill enemies. So I get the checkpoint system, but it does rob the game of that what Hollow Knight has in space, like you said, that that, that tension, that fear of of dying, you know, that. Yeah, I think the unknown is a big part of it as well. Um, and Metro Dread is a good one to compare it to because the, the sort of the game design and pacing of Metro Dread personally, I think is excellent, but it is mm-hmm. more so than any other Metro game. I think it's designed to kind of keep you on the path. Like, I don't know about you, but I did not get lost playing Metroid Dread in the way no. that I have done in other Metroid games. It hides its path very well through through um, very clever game design. And I actually talked about this before in the podcast, if anyone wants to go back and listen to my top seven games of 2021, which I did. It's, it's, it's just that, like, if you play... So I've played other Metroid games, like Metroid Fusion for the Game Boy Advance game, which is fantastic, feels completely linear all the time now it has other things that make that game great but it feels aggressively linear for a game like that i think metroid dread is equally as linear except it hides it behind level design and behind uh the the game designer is kind of kind of very cleverly behind the scenes luring you through that game yeah absolutely Uh, i think it's it's really well executed it's really well masked in the player uh, uh, yeah and exactly but as well executed as it is and it is love metroid dread it's not as good as the, the overall level design and design of Hollow Knight, which does it better. Yeah. Absolutely, but, yeah. But they don't lure you anywhere in Hollow Knight, at least not for most of the game. They kind of let you off. Yeah, for the majority of the game, you're kind of... It's been a while since I played it, but you're kind of given the locations of a couple of things you need to do. Well, yeah, you know where the big... Th- uh, at some point in the game, you find out where the three big boss fights you have to yeah. kill are. Yeah. But, you know... Get it, they're, they're marked on your map, which will just be blank spaces because you haven't filled in those places yet. But the getting yeah. them is a whole is a tall order. But I, the game is pretty much funnels you somewhat linearly, linearly, linearly <laughs> at first, somewhat, not much. When you go into the first area, it's it's actually much more open and bigger than you first assume. But in terms of going to new areas, Hollow Knight is kind of linear until you hit the City of Tears, which is like almost the center point of the whole map. And then after that, the game kind of just goes, all right, off you go. 
Yeah, it's kind of, we'll see at the end, do what you want. Yeah, see at the end, exactly, yeah. And you, to the point where I felt, I think I ended up going to an area called the Crystal Peaks after that, mm-hmm. after the City of Tears. And it felt when I was playing it, that, that was my only option, but kind of finding out on a replay and finding out by looking online that it wasn't. It was just where I, my my personal exploration led me there and it felt natural for me to go there, but I didn't really realize how much the game had opened up at that point. Yeah, I think I I went the complete opposite way as well. I think yeah. I, you can get down into the sewers if you have a key, yeah. I think. Yeah. And that like leads to lo- loads of different areas. You can just do the do the game completely out of sequence, you know? That's wonderful. Absolutely. You could make an argument, and I'm going to just for the hell of it, that are you, are you gonna are you gonna argue? Yeah, that Hollow Knight is kind of as well as a Metroidvania, it's kind of like an open world souls like. Definitely, yeah. I and get if you'll, you. I if get you'll you. accept that definition of it. I think it's a better one of those than Elden Ring. And don't Ooh. get me wrong, I fucking loved Elden Ring. Yeah, so I don't, I don't really want to pit them together. But I, I, I out of the two I played as well, I prefer Hollow Knight over Bloodborne and um, Elden Ring. I do. Hollow Knight for me is just really Hollow Knight is just like it's that moment when you're like you're playing you're playing a genre all your life of games, and you're like I love this genre. I wish I had more of them. And you play what you can, and then you're playing one, and like ten hours into it, you're like. Is this the perfect version of this genre? Yeah. Is that what this is? And you know, almost every kind of every part of it, you know, like you said, like the, the the level design is untouchable. The combat's amazing. The art style, the music, and just as the sense of exploration and the way the way it lets. Because I I I'm not big into the lore of Hollow Knight. Now I am. I do enjoy it, but I haven't sat down and like absorbed hours of YouTube videos yeah. about the lore of Hollow Knight. And I never hundred percented this game either. <laughs> so I don't. But what? More than the kind of unearthing the narrative and unearthing the lore, what really got me through Hollow Knight was just unfurling the map, having the yeah. map expand, and I, and finding ways it can loop back in itself and enter secret areas. And and as a video game overworld, whatever you want to call it, as a massive interconnected map, I think it might be my favorite, like ever, ever. I think I'd probably go along with that. I think it's an absolute yeah. joy. Hmm. And that's the kind of when I think back in my time at Hollow Knight, that's what I really like. I really remember enjoying. That's why I never hundred percented it because I, I I would love to sometime. Um, I, I, I like I I can't remember why I stopped playing. I got I did a lot of. I think I got about ninety percent completion yeah. in it. But I also kind of felt like it was the journey, not destination. And as soon yeah. as the whole map was complete, I, yeah, not that I wasn't enjoying it, but I was definitely enjoying it more before that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's one big downside to Hollow Knight that we probably should address before we move on and that is once you play Hollow Knight you're probably going to love it and once, you, <laughs> once you've played it and you love it you're going to join the rest of us in just waiting for Silk Sound to come out the sequel the DLC turned sequel, full sequel yeah every time there's a Nintendo Direct or anything a PlayStation State to play I'm always like hope they show Silk Song not yet and you know what and this is this is really petty but it's actually like I've I, it actually kind of ruined other games for me a little bit. I don't want to be that guy, but I I one game and it was it's a game I'm not going to be talking about on this list. <laughs> but uh, one game that I always said this limp this game is tailor made for you, tailor made. And I haven't I, I've tried to play it twice and I've quit it twice. Is Ori in the Blind Forest? Yeah, actually, I have that downloaded on my Switch for about eighteen months now, and I've played about five minutes of it and just kind of. Eh. Well, I get I got much further in five minutes and I tried twice and the sequel is supposed to be even better. But I don't know, there's something lacking after playing Hollow Knight. I hate the kind of that's so kind of like one game doesn't negate another one. But and, and there's definitely things that uh, Ori does that Hollow Knight doesn't even attempt to do and, and things that Ori does better. I like Ori's um, movement and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but um 
in terms of uh, Metroidvania, though, it's just like after playing Hollow Knight, I, it's just not enough. And that kind of saying it out loud sounds kind of shitty. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I I get what you mean, but I like it. It mirrors my own experience with it. I think maybe I I tried to play it too soon after playing Hollow Knight. Mm. Maybe, maybe now that enough time has passed, I might give it another shout. You know? Yeah. Well, I didn't expect to talk about Hollow Knight. That was a delight. Okay. Yeah. So that wasn't the uh, the game that you wanted to do a full episode on. Nope. Okay. Awesome. You wouldn't admit it if it was. I, um, I already said I wouldn't. Yeah. But I, I I forgot I admitted. But no, genuinely it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Okay. Well, um, so, Liam, what have you picked for us today? Well, here's the one where I know you... I, this is the only one of the three I know you've played. Okay. And I know you love it. So this is the one I'm concerned might be on your list. Okay, okay it is um, a 2018 indie platform game called Celeste. I just need to move around some notes there. <laughs> really? Uh, no, no, that is yeah. one of the ones that I had considered. That, that was in my list of five, and I, and I dropped it because I was quietly confident that you bring it up. <laughs> nice. And and like like I said, we're not we're not. I don't actually did I say this? But we're not. I'm not really trying to unearth kind of um, hidden gems here. I think that like you chose Hollow Knight. I'm choosing Celeste, despite them being indie games. These were huge releases. These were like big hits. These were like um, they were nominated for Jeff Keighley Awards and and the likes. You know, but. Uh, Celeste is, uh, I'm a big fan of the, the old 2D platformer, Kev, you know, yeah. cut my, cut my teeth on the Sonic the Hedgehog when I was young and the Mario and all those characters. Mm-hmm. But I do think genuinely that Celeste is one of the finest 2D platform games I've ever played. That just seems like such a labor of love. Yeah. Um, of, from the genre that it's like, it's like, and it's funny to kind of bounce from Hollow Knight to Celeste because I both think they're comparable in the sense that they both kind of nailed the genre that they're, that they're kind of doing and they're both kind of callbacks to old genres that hail from the 2d era of games you know yeah absolutely and it is you know it it, it wears its influences on its sleeve i think in a sense that you know i know maddie thorson the the game's developer has been quite open about how like she was huge into snes and nes platformers sort of she used to make games on like uh, Super Mario Maker and like yeah. game jams and stuff in the specific genre of like Maso Core, as in like masochistically hard games. So that was kind of the, <laughs> the background. Well, I've heard of all things Super Mario Sunshine being cited as um as uh, influence on this game. Oh, which interesting. Is crazy, which is interesting and crazy because obviously Sunshine is a three D platformer, this is a two D platformer. But I, I heard the developers talking about it, and it was the sense of movement. It was like getting the sense of movement right. Um, Sunshine. Sunshine is a, a fun game to just play around in without playing yeah. the game. And I think they wanted that for Celeste and a kind of, but like before you even get into, um, you know, what this game is about plot wise and, and, and stuff. Yeah. Just to talk about its gameplay. And it is like the, the key to any successful platform game is the movement. Like I said, you need to like, you, the game needs to be fun to play without you know being in intricate levels of of platforming nonsense it needs to be it needs to feel good to control this character it needs to feel fair to control this character and that that can be a very very difficult thing to pull off because there's all things like how weighty the character is how slidey the character is yeah how 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 how, how their jump arcs down or when 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 they hit the apex of their jump it's a lot of subtle things you know yeah absolutely and i think in terms of the the physics of the the platforming in Celeste, I think they, they've absolutely nailed it. It's like the jumps feel like nicely arched, but not too floaty. Like she's not too static when she lands, but there, there is a little bit of a slide, but it's not 
too heavy. There's a lot of what they call the coyote time, which is sort of the the pixels when you get to the edge of a ledge. <laughs> you can go that little bit out over it, the way that Wiley Coyote used to hang for a second I, before I, he'd I, fall. I've never heard that technical game design term. Oh, no? Kev, yeah. And I love it. Yeah. But it, it's something that... I. I it's something that they were very conscious of during the development is to make a game feel fair for the user. You have to make it a little bit unfair in their favor. Mm. Um, and it's something they absolutely nailed. Cause I think the, the, the basics of the movement in Celeste is kind of, you can run, you can do a regular jump. You can do a, a midair dash that will recharge when you land. You can kind of cling onto walls a little bit for a little bit of time, but that won't save you much. Um, and it's, it's mostly the dash, I think, is what makes the thing feel so good. It's the ability to change direction in midair. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's one of those things that's just so sim- so genius in its simplicity that you can build an entire game around it. And I think I do think that is also a key to a good 2D platform game is to not make it, you know, too complicated. Yeah. That it can, and that, like you said, the dash is so simple. You can change direction in midair, but then that rule that you just said where if you land that dash recharges and you can use it again and they add in different kind of you know specific um things um in 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 levels that kind of your dash reacts to differently and you know and different types of platformers and it's all about the simplicity of the design and then just throwing uh, level ideas at you and having the uh, the light motifs of the, the the platforms and the obstacles kind of grow over several levels, you know, so the challenge is ramping up in a perfectly designed arc. Yeah, and I think the simplicity is the key, and I think that comes a lot from the game's roots. Uh, it was created in, I think, 2016 um, as part of a Game Jam. So it was Matty Thorson and another developer on the team whose name I can't actually remember. Noel Berry? Yes, exactly, yeah. Um, they created it basically over a weekend mm-hmm. um, to sort of conception to final implementation of this sort of Pico 8 game. So like a, a really rough pixel platformer. And they had kind of the the basics of it were in place even from then. You can actually play the, the Pico 8 version of it in the game, in the game Celeste itself, in the finished version. You can find a hidden room with a computer <laughs> where you can go back and play the original version um, of the game. That's neat. I like that. Um, but yeah, it's kind of the the core, the, the core simple kernel of it was in place even then in that sort of four-day sprint to get the thing finished. And they kind of just iterated on it from there and um, like expanded, uh, improved the artwork, added music and stuff. The music, again, oh, absolutely fantastic. excellent yeah, in this game. Really chipped on uh, me. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Um, but they kind of, they put a lot of polish on it. They sort of implemented uh, a lot of really interesting level design there's a ton of levels in this game oh loads and there's a ton of hidden levels in it as well which is which is a a, a, which is a great kind of way to um gauge the pacing of this game and kind of wrap the pacing around the player's own kind of skill level patience level or just the mood they're in you know because kind of not engaging with a lot of the hidden areas in this game or trying to collect all the power-ups. I believe they're strawberries you're trying to collect, which are usually like super difficult to collect. If you don't want to deal with all that, you don't have to. And the game has a great arc of difficulty throughout. I don't think it ever gets majorly difficult, but it's definitely fun and challenging. Yeah, but not, if you not want... on the critical path anyway. I think the, That's the what st- I mean, yeah. The stuff you need to do to finish the game definitely ramps up, but is definitely doable. It's when you start going off that to do like the, the B-sides and stuff. 
Yeah, that's what babies. I mean. That's what I mean, which means you can kind of gauge how difficult you want this game to be and you can kind of get the experience you want out of it. Do you want a tough as nails platformer where you need to kind of master these controls? That game is there. Or do you want a more kind of um, pleasantly paced, challenging, but more on the fun side platformer? That game is absolutely there as well. And I think that is so perfectly balanced that it, like I think I was kind of, you know, half and half. If something got too hard in that game, I wasn't obsessed with 100%ing this thing. I tried everything I came across, but there was a ton of times in this game where I was very happy to kind of go, all right, I can't do this room. And I'm kind of, you know, maybe getting a bit of a, a bit frustrated. So maybe I'll keep going. But another kind of genius thing, which I think is very important as well, that not a lot of platformers kind of utilize, but I think it's a very good tool, is um, the instant you die, you're back in the game again. And it never kicks you back too far. So the challenges that you're facing are always very immediate. And when you die, you're kind of right back to, to attempting the same challenge again, which completely, not completely, but very much alleviates like frustration. It makes, definitely makes it so much less frustrating than it could be. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the cost of dying in that game is minuscule. It's because the screen's normally like a, a successful clear on a screen in Celeste, getting from one end to the other is probably a couple of seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, So you, yeah. your successful run through the screen is going to be a couple of seconds. So every time you fall and reset, you're like, well, I'm still, I'm only about three seconds away from the exit if I get it right this time. So you will happily sit there and try 20 times if you need to. Exactly, yeah. And it really reminds me of an older game, uh, Super Meat Boy. I was just going to say, yeah, absolutely. It, which also has that which also has that kind of um, same setup. And when I played Celeste, um, it really reminded me of Super Meat Boy. Because when, when Super Meat Boy came out back in the day, that was one thing that was one thing that really struck me about it. And I thought it was one of the keys to um, its successful formula was how quickly it had you back in the action, how little far back you're going to. Challenges were always just right in front of you. Yeah. But it's funny. It's so, so funny to compare those two games because I, I think they kind of chart the change in kind of tone of the indie of the indie kind of sector, you know, but when, yeah. when Super Meat Boy came out, it was this kind of sort of edgy, sort of sort of gross platformer that had a lot of uh, parodies of old retro games in it because everyone who was making games back then had grown up in these retro games. And then by the time Celeste came out, the tone had changed more about platformers or indie games or whatever, being about emotions, representing something, being about metaphors and being very twee and nice and pleasant, you know? <laughs> I'm, yeah, not saying, I'm not saying that rule is like, <laughs> it applies to everything. But yeah, I think, but I I do think it it is worth shouting out the the narrative in Celeste. It is a bit lovely. It is a bit. It's a bit lovely. And here's the thing: if you want to be a bit sassy, kind of by the time Celeste came out in 2018, the whole idea of a of a 2D platformer or a sprite based 2D platformer, even that was, you know, ostensibly about you know depression or emotions or something like that had been done and done and done and done. This is not like a new idea. But like you said, Celeste is very well executed and very lovely. Lovely is the word. I'm glad you said it. Yeah, it's um, it has this narrative about uh, the protagonist Madeline. Like, Kev, did you know that Link is 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 the main character and Zelda is the princess? Sorry, did you know that um, Celeste is the mountain and Madeline is the girl? I did know that. I just referred to her as Madeline before you interrupted me. <laughs> you like, didn't get in there quick enough. <laughs> 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 not going back yeah <laughs> i right. wanted to say it and i, I wasn't stopping <laughs> yeah um but what i was going to say is, is basically i think the um the game tells a quite simple but meaningful story about her sort of dealing with her mental health issues dealing with sort of struggling with with who she is or who she wants to be mm-hmm. um 
in a way that is sort of it's really simple in its execution on the narrative side it's implemented very well into the gameplay you have this sort of dark version of madeline that sort of shows up to plague you throughout the game um she's affectionately known as Madeline, which i love excellent um but it's it, it, it's a very simple sort of gameplay way of expressing of the story of the game um, expressing it in a very moving way i would say yeah absolutely yeah i would say i i was a little bit sassy there like in saying this has been done before you know but it, no it, it what 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 celeste is trying to tell i i think celeste is a platformer above all else and i think its concerns are mechanically but what it are mechanical and gameplay wise but what what it was trying to say with its story which i believe is very important to the designer mix escape is perfectly told through the gameplay and like you said, through the, the characters and the ideas in the game, like perfectly conveyed over like the 10, 10 or so hours that this game takes to play. Yeah. And I think one thing that, uh, another thing that speaks in the game's favor is that sort of that modularity that you mentioned previously about being able to pick and choose, you know, what levels you want to engage with or how difficult you want to make it for yourself. That kind of applies to a degree on the narrative side of it as well, that there are these um conversations with npcs along the way now some are, are on the critical path but some you can kind of not engage with if you don't want to if you're just in the mood to just play you can skip yeah, a whip voice yeah. um 2d platformer you can just skip the story bits and just get to the, the good stuff but if you want to engage with that story it's there as well so it's sort of that modular approach is kind of applied across the board on it in a way that's uh, it's clearly really well thought out. But I, I could be successfully imprisoned for all eternity, Kev, if someone handed me a video game and put me in front of an NPC and every yeah. time I pressed A to talk to the NPC, they said something different because yeah. I would be waiting to exhaust all the things that that NPC says. And um, Celeste has that. It's great where you can just like keep like the conversation will stop almost after every two lines. Like you said, you can walk away whenever. If you want to keep pressing A, keep getting more story. These characters chat for quite a long time if you want them to. Right. And the writing is really cute and really well written, really, um, really, really good. Like I said, if you if you don't want to engage with it, you have the option to walk away from it. But at the same time, I don't know why you would, because it's, <laughs> it, it is truly lovely. It's truly, but in fairness, in like you said, if you are maybe just replaying the game or for, for, if, you, if you download this game because you just want something very mechanical and tactile, it's there. You can skip all that. Like, it, it's just, it, like you made a perfect point, Kev. The game is so kind of um, caters to what you're in the mood for in some in very kind of just well-designed ways and in, in very subtle just game design ways. Uh, great stuff. Absolutely yeah. great stuff. Awesome. So, it, so, so that was the game I was worried about you having, uh, choosing. I'm pretty sure you're not going to choose my other two games. So now I'm like breathing a, a sigh of relief. Yeah. And on that, I'm pretty sure that you haven't played the other games I've picked or at least one of them anyway, for sure. Excellent. Um, which I might talk about now. Let's do it. Um, now, you might remember at the top, I said that I, I had ended up picking two games that I adore and one game that I think is pretty okay with interesting. I kind of remember that. Yeah. yeah. Kind so of we're, we're, we're going to go for the classic shit sandwich here and we're going to have the pretty okay <laughs> game in the middle and keep, keep the stronger good. one for the end. Oh, that sounds good. I like that. Okay. Yeah. So the, the next game I want to talk about is Observer. Ah. Um, or yes. or uh, close bracket Observer underscore to give it its proper title. Nope. Nope. No, I hit it. Um, Observer <laughs> is uh, it's a first-person sort of psychological horror game. Is how they yeah. branded themselves. Uh, developed by Bloober Team. Now, Bloober Team have been in the news lately. Um, oh God! As they are heavily rumored to be making a new Silent Hill. Oh, good news! 
Mm. Sorry, when you when you say someone's in the news recently, I oh sorry, that's great. That's uh, no, good, that's good. <laughs> I'm not done. Oh God. <laughs> um, so when these rumors came out, it actually upset a lot of people. Um, Why? And, and not without cause. Uh, some of Bloober Team's previous offerings, um, thinking specifically of the Layers of Fear game okay. and the the Medium, um, have been oh, criticised a medium, lot yeah. for their writing. In particular, they have a lot of issues with depictions of women, with depictions of people with mental health, and uh, with depictions of sexual assault survivors. Uh, all, yeah, all... Yeah, give them Silent Hill, so... Yeah. <laughs> it's not like any of that stuff would overlap with the, the content of a Silent Hill game, you know? <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Now, obviously, it's just rumoured. Like, there's, there's nothing official, um, but the rumours have been abounding for a while so i wouldn't be surprised if there was something to it um i'd heard this stuff about them i'd never played one of their games i'd seen sort of the criticisms of those games i'd seen the reviews of their blair witch game from a couple of years back oh they, they did that of, yeah they, they did that, that as well that was, yeah, that was yeah. supposed to be good right that was apparently pretty good yeah but i i again i never checked it out and then i feel bad i haven't played anything these guys have done yeah me neither until like uh, a week ago um when for some reason i don't know what convinced me to do it but i downloaded uh from the ps plus collection thing uh observer or specifically observer system redux the um the next gen version of it great um decided to give it a go and i gotta say it's pretty good so even though this is a shit sandwich the shit in the middle is still pretty good it's still pretty good yeah yeah Yeah, I i was all primed to i kind of went into it expecting to dislike it but i thought at least it'll be interesting yeah. i knew a little bit about it um but uh, yeah i actually quite like it it's kind of um it's sort of stylistically and thematically it draws very heavily from blade runner in particular it's this cool. sort of cyberpunk slash noir type vibe um the blade runner inference runs to the point where your protagonist your main character is actually voiced by the late great rutger hauer oh excellent yeah um, so, so you play as this guy, Daniel Lazarski, which just as an aside is the absolute best sort of fictional detective name I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> You're a loose cannon, Lazarski. Lazarski got kicked off the force. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you play as this sort of fancy sci-fi cop working in a cyberpunk dystopian version of Krakow, which for some reason, all the Polish people in future Krakow speak English with an American accent. Um, Why didn't they set it in in in, Amer- in America or something? No, what the interesting thing is that they are Polish. Oh, so they set it in Poland, which is all well and good. But like, okay. I guess the the game had to have an English dub. But they could have used Polish voice actors speaking. Well, English did you watch? Did you did you watch the new Predator movie Prey? That has kind of people chatting about that as well, where you know it's set back in with Native Americans, but they're all yeah. speaking. Yeah, I think maybe that's just a stylistic choice people choose sometimes. Yeah, I mean... Do I, I agree? I don't think so, but it is what it is, yeah. I guess. I get it, but it did feel kind of jarring when the game mm. started up and I realised that it is set in Poland, and yes, <laughs> everyone sounds like just sta- like standard, generalised American. <laughs> um, Take that, American. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's, it's the sort of accent that isn't actually an American accent. It's not the sort of American accent that any actual Americans have. <laughs> okay. it's, it's that sort of neutral... American accent with all the edges sanded off. Yeah, 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 gotcha. But yeah, I don't know how much you know about the gameplay in this game. Zero. Okay. So your character is what they call an observer, which is a special type of cop who's had like 
body augmentation, standard cyber funky type stuff. But he's gained the ability to like stick a probe into someone's head and like explore their thoughts. My God. So kind of think like dark cyberpunk psychonauts. Yeah. So that's a good chain of words. I'm into that. Yeah. So your character gets a call at the start of it from his estranged son, um, Adam. Adam's like, you got to come help me, Pops. Uh, you go to where he is. You get to this uh, rundown apartment building. Um, when you arrive, no sign of Adam, but there's a sign of like a, a violent struggle. So you then have to sort of explore around the apartment building, trying to solve the mystery of what's happened with your kid. And then you're also interacting with all the residents of the building mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, solving side quests that pop up, like their various problems or whatever. Um, but all this is sort of centered around the central mechanic of being able to jump into someone's brain um, and sort of interrogate their thoughts that way. Now, in, in the sort of the lore of the game, it's explained early on that you're, you're only supposed to do this with living people. But um, our boy Lazarski, being such a, a loose cannon, decides to uh, enter the mind of a recently dead person so and now see their their dying moments and sort of from that point on it does this sort of almost like pt-esque uh reality bending thing where it's sort of there's lots of like neon and visual glitches and you know uh you go through a door and you're back in the hall restarted and all this sort of uh, yep. okay that's where the, the psychological horror stuff starts to, to, to crank up there it's surprisingly really quite good is it is it spook it's quite spook. It um, yeah. it has a couple of jump scares. One that absolutely got me. Are you um, scratching your nuts at the time? Did you rip? <laughs> did you rip them off? I told you not to bring that off. <laughs> Is that why you're giving this game seven out of ten? That's, yeah, yeah. Minus <laughs> minus one for each of my nuts that are now gone. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's 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 got a sufficient level of spook across the board of just sort of the weird setting and the tension in the game. Like the particularly this next gen version of it does look gorgeous. Like they've really put a lot into the presentation of it. Hmm. Um, which when things start getting weird, it's very visceral. You really feel it. Um interestingly, the it's been kind of divisive in reviews that I've seen, but I found the writing to be pretty good. Um hmm. Rutger what, about, what about female characters and the other things that you oh, said? Female characters, um, do any women actually appear on screen during the game? I don't think so. Well women can't die in the future. Um <laughs> Yeah. Um, so is it a mainly Rutger Hauer and a mind spooks though, is it? Yeah, what they've done is, and I assume it was like as a cost-saving measure, but as soon as you arrive in the apartment building, there's this lockdown that comes into effect, and all of the tenants of the building are locked into their rooms. So you don't speak to them through doors? Exactly. So they don't have to animate any other models. I'm okay with um, developers who have really high-budget ideas coming up with stuff like that to save some money, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely okay with that. Maybe I'll laugh it a little bit. Maybe I'll say... (laughs) That's dumb, but I get I get why they did it. It adds to the atmosphere in a way that's really cool because a lot well, of the well, if it adds to the atmosphere, if, it work, if they make it work, then 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 there there you go. Yeah, a lot of the residents have like um these sort of doorbell cameras and screens on the door, so uh, when you're interacting with them, you do see a face, but it's kind of it's a low quality image, and maybe they're right up against the camera, so you're only seeing half their face and their eye or something. And it it really does it adds to the atmosphere of it, particularly because a lot of the residents are fucking weird. Well, you got to go into weird brains, don't you? 
Absolutely. They can't be just ordinary folk. They wouldn't have a game then, would you? Yeah. Uh, I do want to especially shout out at this moment uh, Rutger Hauer's performance in it, where he yeah, is absolutely phoning it in. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, is he? Yeah, I don't want to be crude or like you know disrespectful, but he, like when does it get, when does game come out? He must have had one foot in the grave, no? Um, I think it was in 20, <laughs> 20, seventeen maybe for the original release. So yeah, it was, oh, he, right. he, okay, was, so he was he was he was on the way out anyway. He's falling um, in age, just not not there though. Yeah, but weirdly, because of how it's written, it works. Yeah, his his character just seems like the kind of guy who wouldn't really give that much of a shit wouldn't put oh. that much effort into speaking awesome so the super lazy performance actually serves the character really well um there it's not a perfect game by any means it has these sections it's obviously like the devs were worried that the sort of the, the, the mystery the writing the psychological horror maybe wouldn't be enough to hold it up on its own so they wanted to add some you know air quotes gameplay so they've put in these um these stealth sections Mm. where you're kind of you're exploring and you're being hunted by uh, this sort of whatever the enemy is some sort of personification of fear or blah 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 um, but it's, it's a game that up until that point has been sort of very focused around very low lighting very low visibility lots of visual glitches not really being able to see what's going on and then they're adding in a persistent enemy to that that you can't really see you can't see where the enemy is properly. You can't see how the hiding places work. You don't know if you're hidden or not. And then if you get found, it's an instant game over. Yeah, so should they have stuck to making it more of a kind of a narrative slash jump scary game and kept the, the actual gameplay to other people who can make video games? I think so, yeah. Or maybe if they wanted to have one section with the stealth mechanics mm. in it, I, can, I could have understood that. But it shows up a couple of times and each time it comes back, I sort of, audibly sighed there was one point towards the end because the game has quite poor checkpointing in these sections as well but there was one point where i was like 10 minutes deep into a stealth section and i was thinking to myself like if i get caught here and it puts me all the way back i will probably just uninstall this game and never speak of it again it seems like it got in the way of enjoying the game like i i know like there's a whole argument to be had you know game gaming is an interactive medium and every game should have for lack of a better term, gamey moments in it. But I've definitely played some story-driven games made with a lower budget than usual by a smaller team. And you kind of just wish that they had the confidence to not have these kind of more gamey moments, you know? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I think, like, in conclusion on it, I think it's it's definitely the weakest of the games that I've picked today. I'd imagine it's probably going to be the weakest of the six games that we've picked between yeah. us. You don't know what shit um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about. It's true. When anything. And and like like I said, I did definitely enjoy it, but the degree to which I enjoyed it does not exactly give me a lot of confidence in these guys doing a Silent mm. Hill game. But yeah. I'm slightly warmer on the idea than I was before I went into this. I think the medium, is that what's called? That would yes. be a, a better litmus test because wasn't that almost like so wannabe tryhard Silent Hill, wasn't it? Yeah, that is like influences on its sleeve that is like their version of a silent hill game people didn't really like it right yeah apparently it's sort of like i said i I haven't played it so i don't know for sure but from what i've seen in reviews it's kind of mechanically not that strong and narratively it's kind of it's their biggest offender for the the dodgy (laughs) writing stuff um particularly there's a lot of unsavory stuff about a character who's the victim of sexual assault in the game and sort of the stuff about essentially blaming her and trying to portray the 
the the the offender as sort of a sympathetic character that doesn't Whoa. really yeah doesn't really sit right. Well, I've wanted a Silent Hill game for years and years now, but you know, close second to me wanting that game to be really good is wouldn't it be an interesting if it was a train wreck. So maybe. <laughs> So maybe it's fate that these guys are given Silent Hill. Yeah, fuck it. I mean, like, them releasing a train wreck Silent Hill game, they're not going to come around and, like, steal your discs of the original games. Yeah, they still, they still exist, like, so. It's a silver medal to getting a really good Silent Hill game. Yeah, we'll take it. Um, so I'm interested to hear what you have next for us, Liam. Okay, do you remember Night Trap? So back in the day, um, people used to make video games with real actors. Did oh, you know that? yeah. They were called FMV games. I just wanted to be given Night Trap because that's the most famous one. It's about you're, you have to save girls at a slumber party from these guys who are stalking them around the house. And it's, it was for the Sega CD, and it's ridiculous, and it has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you zigs when I thought you were going to zag. <laughs> Except for that uh, the whole method of FMV games came back into vogue there a few years ago with uh, Her Story. Oh, yes, the uh, the Sam Barlow game. Yes, and yeah. Kev, not talking about her story, I've never played it. You zigged again. <laughs> you, you cannot stop me. There's, oh, shit. There, that's actually my last zig, because I don't want, actually don't want any more whiplash. Yeah, well, my next, ta- my next guess was going to be the Entourage movie, so I think you're safe enough. <laughs> I'm going to talk about it. I would love to play her story, I just haven't got around to it. I have played uh, Sam Barlow, like you said, I have played his follow-up game to her story, Telling Lies, and that is what I'm choosing for my next game. And it, yeah. It, yeah. Have you played it? No? I haven't. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely interested in it. I think I'm going to pick it up soon. Because um, I've had I've had her story on my Steam account for years, and I've never sat down with it. Mostly because my laptop is, to put it mildly, an absolute piece of shit. So I don't know if we would even be able to play it. Yeah, um, the thing, yeah, I don't have a PC that can play games at the moment because I'm a pleb. But uh, yeah, this, this is out in the Switch. And it's oh. so, it's, yeah, it's such an odd fit for a nintendo console but yeah no i played it on the switch interesting um now i know next to nothing about this one um other than i believe it got kind of mixed reviews yeah i think from what i can glean it got definitely got mixed reviews uh, but also in comparison to its predecessor which seems to be just a better game but since i hadn't played the predecessor i sat down with this kind of really not knowing what i was getting myself into but just being very curious about this um uh this guy this developer and i'm very curious about her story and and telling lies and i was just you know and i had i went in with an open mind and open heart and i'm not going to go on about this game as some kind of masterpiece in video game narrative or masterpiece in interactive narrative but it's interesting and i really enjoyed my time with it the whole interesting yeah, the whole thing is, like I said, it's live action. It's all portrayed by actors. And you are a lady. Said so you can only see uh, your reflection on a laptop screen and you're on a laptop and you get this file that is hours and hours of of footage from different places. And you don't get any context of what this is. And you essentially have to kind of peruse through video files and most of them are people speaking to the camera. So you're clearly gotten footage of someone talking to their webcam. Who are they talking to? You don't know. Yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And you Basically, the game, to, to, to um, kind of boil it down, is to figure out what the story is. Figure out, you know, the, the rhyme, the reason to this, like, literal hours of footage you have at your disposal. And who are these people? And how you do that is essentially, it's a very simple mechanic. And it almost comprises the only like, thing you do mechanically in the game. 
is that if someone's talking and they say something like, I went to Crystal Lake, Crystal Lake is just an example, if I can't remember yeah. any of it, you, you can bookmark that and then you can type Crystal Lake into a, a search or you can type or you can just um, hotkey it and you, and you can have the, the computer you're at search for any time in the hours of footage that any other character said the term Crystal Lake. Okay. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to dig, hear what people are saying and trying to trying to kind of zone in any salient information that they're saying and then trying to dig deeper into this story and trying to find other footage. Oh, this character mentioned an address. This character mentioned a name. What if I search this name? Oh, now I have this footage of this girl. She's also talk- talking about this name, but who is this name? And then over time, just by listening to the characters from watching the, the footage, you start to piece together the story. And it's, and it's confusing for a very long time. But when it really starts clicking, you, you you suddenly start realizing, oh, I'm seeing the other side of this conversation. I've heard this guy talking into the webcam, and this is the woman he was talking to. I remember that conversation that from his side. I know because fair play to the actors; they have to do a lot of neutral listening because <laughs> because let's just say two characters have a ten minute conversation, but you're only seeing one side of it. They have to sit there and kind of be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you can fast a lot, forward. A lot, lot of active listening. Yeah, so fair play to the actors. It couldn't be. It must be a very strange um, gig that they landed. Very different. And Kev, I don't really have like much more to say like about it, except that's the kind of. Um, if, if that sounds interesting to you in any way, that's all it is. And there's kind of another kind of, um, kind of um, hidden kind of mechanic almost that I almost don't want to spoil. But I, what I will say is, you know. Don't leave this game idle if you're going to the bathroom or anything like that. Oh. Pause it. Um, I'll just say there's a time element that the game doesn't tell Interesting. You, that the game doesn't tell you. And it's um and the narrative isn't like a masterpiece or anything, uh, but the characters are very well written and the mystery is interesting. And when you and when suddenly when you come across like a juicy footage, like you most of it is just people talking to the camera, but then somebody someday sometime you land on a, a video and you're like, hold on, this person, what the hell's happening? Someone's getting shot here. And then you're like, you really do feel like a kind of a detective who's like stumbled on some clue or, and stuff like that. And like I said, when you start seeing other sides of conversations you've heard before, and when you really start kind of formulating this story in your mind, it is like, I, I say this a lot, a story that would be nothing without the medium that it's, it's been used. So if it wasn't an interactive video game, this would be a pointless story. Yeah, yeah you know, it, it, it wouldn't work as a movie. It only works. With yeah, because the twists interrogating are, the narrative. Yeah, the twists are good, but are they as good if you didn't kind of unearth them? No, definitely not. They're not yeah. shocking like that. But uh, like, and I would say it's like nothing I've personally ever played before. Anyway, have you ever played anything like that before? I'm sure her story is like that. Yeah, her story, I believe, is a similar thing. Except it's only it's in, it's a series of interviews with one person, but it's the same yeah. idea where you're doing like keyword searches to try and find relevant bits of information and piece together story but yeah no I've, I've i've only ever heard good things about his games or interesting things at least i have two pieces of sam barlow information for you though well, I don't know. one did you know uh relevant to our previous game that sam barlow uh made two silent hill games i didn't yeah he uh. was um writer on I think is it Origins and Shattered Memories? Shattered Memories. Yeah, yeah, I love Shattered Memories. Yeah, there you go. I've been waiting to like Shattered Memories. Silent Hill Shattered Memories is one of those games I've just been waiting to unleash on this podcast because I think it's criminally underrated. The other Silent Hills that came out 
in the later half of that life, like Origins and stuff that I'm yeah. now interested in. Shattered Memories is like imperfect, but genuinely fucking interesting. Yeah, that's the sound I didn't, effect there. did not know that connection. That's crazy. Yeah. And the one other piece of Sam Barlow information I have for you um, mm-hmm. is that, did you know his next FMV game is coming out this day next week? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> Well, maybe we can now write some fucking algorithms, some hashtags. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put this one in the, the title. <laughs> I have a, a, an interesting thing to say. Go on. It's not even nearly as... In- I'm, I'm thinking it's not even nearly as interesting as the two things you just said. You kind of one up me. But I was... Um, two up cast- two. Look on. You two, yeah. Let's, let's tell it like <laughs> it is. And that's three. Uh, the the cast in this, like I said, they do a very good job and they have kind of... Um, not big stars. Like, you know, Logan Marshall Green? He was in yeah. Prometheus and yeah. Spider-Man Homecoming. He played, like, the first Shocker and Michael Keaton blew him up. Oh, him? yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in it. Um, Alexandra Ship. she played um, Storm in the bad X-Men movies. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> but, but I just, just before we, we started recording this, there's a little girl in it. One of the characters has a daughter and there's a little girl in, in a lot of the video footage. And she was recently in Obi-Wan playing uh, young uh, Leia. Oh, shit. I actually haven't seen Obi-Wan yet. Did you know young Leia was in it? Was that a spoiler? I did not. Oh. <laughs> Do you care? No, I don't at all. God. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, I'm even doubly sickened that I said that fact because after <laughs> your two much more salient, interesting facts, like it, it fell very short. Would you say at this point that I four up you? Uh, yeah, I think we should move on to the next game. Actually, no, before we move on to the next game, short, this was a shorter segment, but um, Kev and the audience, this game takes three hours to play. If it sounds mildly interesting, if you're in the mood for something that's passive, that's, you know, not, you know, some, maybe it's it's relaxing, you know, you can play it in chunks. Um, I, I really do recommend it. I really do. Yeah, awesome. No, I, I fully will check it out and I'll report back to you. Kev, it is your turn for the final game, the... Is this the bottom piece of bread or the top piece of bread in your in your sandwich? I would think that this is this is the the top piece of bread. This is the the crown. Even better than Hollow Knight. Ooh, maybe. Jesus. Maybe yeah. Um, I be? absolutely love this game. I played mm-hmm. it for the first time earlier this year. Um, it came out in 2019 and had a DLC that came out last year. And retroactively. Both it and its DLC have become my favorite things that came out in those years. Brilliant. Um, I'm speaking about Outer Wilds. Oh, yes, you were going on and on about Outer Wilds. Yeah. Um, like the, the sort of the synopsis of what I'm about to rant about is that you should absolutely play this and so should <laughs> everyone listening to this. It gotcha. is a, a truly something special. Gotcha. Um, so it is developed by a team called Mobius Digital. It's published by Annapurna Interactive, the H24 video games. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, like I said, released originally in 2019. Um, I think originally was an Xbox exclusive for a bit, and now it's on everything. You can play it anywhere. Um, it is basically a sort of first-person, I guess, call it an adventure game. I don't know. Um, but it shares a lot of DNA with uh, like walking sims, things like uh, Gone Home or Firewatch or, you know, any of these numerous yeah, walking yeah. sim type games. Because it was mixed in with a lot of like um, exploration. There's some platforming elements. There's a lot of like um, puzzle solving and, and lateral thinking stuff. And then also there's a pretty tasty like space flight simulation side to it as well. 
Um, you play as an unnamed protagonist who is a member of this like um, planetary space exploration agency called Outer Wilds Ventures, and it's their first. It's the day of their first um, space flight. Um, your objective is to kind of just head out into the game's solar system and explore. Uh, the game is super hands off in telling you what to do. It's just like get in the ship, have a bit of a fly. It tells you that there's other members of your team scattered around the solar system. It recommends you to go find them, chat with them. And that's about it. You get in your ship, you take off, and then a little bit of time passes and the fucking sun blows up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Everything goes blue. You get killed. You wake up back at your campfire, back at the start. You find out that you're in this 22-minute time loop where it's 22 minutes from basically the end of time, the sun going supernova. And you still effectively have the same objective. You're just going out exploring. We're trying to figure out, you know, why is this happening? Why is time looping? Why is the sun exploding? You're trying to look at the sort of the ruins of the ancient race of aliens who had inhabited the solar system before you to find out clues to like why they were there, what they knew about this phenomenon, what you can do to stop it or or deal with it. And it basically just plays out as as this sort of sprawling puzzle from there it's um but is there a goal dude does a goal kind of reveal itself of like is there literally a kind of rather than exploring everything do you suddenly realize that there's things you're trying to do in the 22 minute loops how does it work yeah kind of basically that original piece of advice kind of gets you on your path where you're told Mm. to go find your team members um and locating them is actually a really cool uh, game mechanic that ties into the presentation of the game, where um, every other member of the Outer Wilds Ventures that you're looking for uh, plays a musical instrument, mm. and they're all playing the game's theme song, each on a different instrument. So you have a scanner to try and find them, and while you're like scanning the solar system, you pick out, well, there's a guy playing the banjo. So I'll go to that planet, try to find him. You find the people on the planets, they explain a little bit about the history of that planet or something that's going on there. You explore, you find some writing from that um, that ancient alien race that maybe gets you a little insight into what they were doing there. Um, and you kind of piece together information from that that gives you a better view of what's going on. Um, your, your sort of your overall goal is to, I guess just figure out what's going on and what you can do about it. Mm, so every, good. Yeah. I like every, that. Every 22 minute loop, you're going out into the solar system. You're exploring one, maybe two planets. You're finding more information. Um, what's interesting is that there's no progression system in this game. There's no inventory. There's no XP. There's no skills. Nothing carries over from one loop to the next, except the information that you've gained. Um, yeah. which is which you store on a, a computer in your ship you kind of it's a lot of like different colored boxes with little hints in it that all sort of connect up ends up looking like um charlie day and always sunny in philadelphia like <laughs> cigarette hanging out of your mouth like drawing threads trying to connect the, the dots you know uh, pepe sylvia pepe sylvia yeah exactly um everything happens dynamically within the 22 minute loop everything is happening regardless of whether you're there to check it out or not there's one planet that has like a black hole at its core it's being torn apart so if you want to explore a facility on that planet you got to get there early before it's sucked into a black hole and shot out of space there's another planet that has like um it's mostly covered in water and there's tornadoes whipping around and the tornadoes are so powerful they're actually 
picking up the islands and throwing them out into space, which is, you know, not great news if you're standing on it. But if you were to maybe try fly in underneath and explore the cave systems that are now unveiled, you know, all these things are sort of dynamically happening over time. And you only have enough time in your 22 minutes to check out one or two things to begin with. But the more you find, the more you learn, the more you figure out that, you know, there are shortcuts, there are ways around it. There's um there's a, a, a tricky but functional sort of fast travel system that'll let you get from point A to B if things are aligned properly, literally, because they they actually model the solar system, all the planets orbit the sun at all times. So you sometimes you're you're literally trying to get pla- wait for planets to align so you can travel between them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And um the genius of it is, um, it kind of reminds me, it's something you've mentioned on the podcast before, actually, Liam, is this, um, there's a video on YouTube by a guy called Matt Lees on his um, Cool Ghosts channel, where okay. he talks about where does the game reside? Um, meaning, like, where is the, the player's sort of energy and focus directed at any time? For sure, yeah. Um, and when he's speaking about it on, in that video, he's speaking specifically about games with, like, maps or, like, on-screen indicators or, or things like that, where the player's focus is being pulled away from the game itself to just watch a needle on a compass effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think in Outer Wilds, sort of the genius of it is that, is that a lot of the game resides like not on the screen at all, but in the player's head. The game will like give you clues. It'll point you in the right direction. You'll gather information that you know, you'll add to your, your Charlie Day murder board, whatever. Um, but ultimately, it's up to you to work out what to do and what it means. And when you do get it, it is supremely satisfying. The thing about the game is because nothing is passed between the loops, it is entirely possible to completely finish the game in that first 22-minute loop. If you know what you're doing. If you know what you're doing. The but only, you won't. The, yeah, you won't. You absolutely won't. It took me about, I don't know, six or seven hours to get through it. Um, and it is truly one of the most interesting and enjoyable video games I've ever come across. Um, I do want to quickly mention the the DLC that came out last year, the, the Echoes uh-huh. of the Eye. Um, I won't talk about it in any detail, just in case if anyone wants to play it, because it's really surprising and really, really good. Um, but surprising? What, yeah. Mm. And the, what, one thing I will say for it is that it introduces uh, these sort of stealth horror sections. <laughs> so it, it does what Observer did but does it way, way better. It is genuinely like super stressful and terrifying when the horror bits kick in. Um, but like that DLC, the original game is like numeric ratings don't really mean anything. But if you, if I was to put a number on the original game, it's like, a, it's a, it's a nine out of 10. Add that DLC. It's a fucking 10 out of 10. It's a, it's an absolute masterpiece. Okay. Well, I'm, I was sold at the beginning of that but it's, it completely sounds up my alley and is it really basic to say just a slightest whiff of my favorite game of all time majora's mask in it just a no, tiniest, absolutely. tiniest whiff. absolutely majora's mask is is um a point of reference for it i think it's like sitting there on my playstation just waiting to be played and i haven't played it is that is that sacrilege um yeah i mean the loops only take 22 minutes so if you want to go and do one now i'll wait <laughs> Hey, editor, I just came back. Kev, what a, pe- what a piece of shit. God, I'm so tired. It's been hours. <laughs> well, that's unreal. Um, do you know what? That game has been on my list. and I knew you played it. I didn't realize how in love with you were, though. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it has firmly installed itself as one of my favorite games of all time. It's up there with things like Hollow Knight or um, 
Disco Elysium, in my opinion, of like recent release, well, relatively recent released indie games that are just head and shoulders above everything else. They're exceptionally good. And my next game is Disco Elysium. Oh, really? No, I haven't played it, actually. Oh. Sorry about that. Uh, I really want to say that as well, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, um, maybe if we went in the other order, like me me first and you, we could end it on that kind of you gushing about that amazing game. Because my final game, Kev, isn't... I don't think it's a masterpiece or anything like that. It's not one of my favorite games ever. But I think it is supremely interesting and it's weirdly close to my heart. And I, I really like it. And I want to begin with a, a bit of a weird preamble about games and them costing time and money to make. Yeah. Because they do, they do, don't they? they? They cost time and money and like a lot of man hours and a lot of hard work has to go into them. And then when, you, when, when, when you're selling them, you have to charge money for them, don't you? Yeah. So it's difficult to kind of price a game that took four years to make but only takes 45 minutes to play. And it's weird. And it's weird to kind of, I think something like Game Pass that uh, Microsoft are doing is like perfect to get games like this kind of into more players' hands, for lack of a better word. But it's always been a kind of a weird thing was like, is it worth 20 quid? Is it worth 30 quid to play a game that takes 45 minutes to make? But I've always of the opinion that the length of a game, you know, isn't always a selling point. It's mainly only a selling point because gaming is an expensive hobby and you have to justify the price that you spend on something. So you don't want to, if you have, if you have only a certain amount of money you can spend, you don't want to spend on a 45 minute game, but a game's true quality, um, it, it, the, the length of a game suits, should suit whatever game it is. And the game I'm talking about is only 45 minutes long and, but it's perfect. And I think in, in an age of game pass and stuff like that, I hope it leads to more interesting experiments like this. Um, even though it came out back in uh, 2019, but have you heard of Sayonara Wild Hearts? Oh yes, yeah. I haven't played it, but I have heard of it. It's a sort of um, uh, like it's kind of like a, like an interactive music video type thing, like a sort of flow statey type. I, I, thing. I I'd go along with that. Here's the here's the thing though, it's sort of an album, but as a video game. Yeah, because it's not really a rhythm game. And when I was when I was look open up Wikipedia and stuff for this just to scan through before we started talking, it was described as a rhythm game, but I don't really think it is. Do you know what it more do you know what it more is like? Do you remember those games that you probably just fucking chilling on your phone doing fuck all, like Temple Runner? Yeah. And stuff like that, where you literally just have a character who's constantly moving forward and you just move him left or right to grab coins or dodge obstacles and stuff like that. It actually has more um in its DNA to something like that than a than a rhythm game. What it is, what I would describe it as, is an interactive album. They got, they got a singer, they got a, a, a someone to write music, and they wrote a bunch of songs. And instead of putting it into an album, they put it into a video game, and they told mm-hmm. a narrative. They put visuals around it, and like I said, this game was forty-five minutes long. And visually, this game is sort of like a laser light show kind of neon thing where your character is like running for constantly. Sometimes she's on a skateboard. Sometimes she's on a motorbike. Sometimes she's holding a sword, holding a sword and you're collecting kind of jewels. You're moving left and right. Now the gameplay is incredibly basic, despite the graphics being like beautiful. Like the yeah. art design of this game is absolutely beautiful. And the kind of level coming at you does line up with the kind of the beat and the rhythm of the music of the song that's playing. So there is a sort of a kind of rhythm game aspect to that. But I would argue that you're kind of, your inputs, your brain is not kind of, you're kind of more going by the visuals on the screen rather than kind of, you know, to the beat of the music. 
So despite the whole the whole thing flowing together really well, I still I don't I don't know why I'm getting stuck in this, but I wouldn't call it a rhythm game. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't. But what it is is like I said, it's it's a video game as an album, and it's telling a story. And despite the fact that it's like really anime shit happening on the screen, like sometimes you're um, on a motorbike with a sword and you're fighting other people on motorbikes, or sometimes you're fighting gigantic robotic wolves and you're dodging missiles that they're shooting at you. This is actually a game about a girl kind of finding peace within herself again as visualized by each level representing her getting over one of her exes okay and kind of each kind of and you piece this together as you're playing each game each kind of segment of the game there's about 23 levels in this altogether, but each kind of section of it um represents a kind of different kind of x she's getting over and because this game is like really short i don't have to talk about it for that long just to say that it almost moved me to tears when i finished it it oh, was wow. beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. And it all ties together with just a perfect ending. It's just one of those, like, despite being 45 minutes long, it just has a perfect bloody ending as a final song that plays that ties the whole thing together. And I just loved the sentiment of it. I loved the message of it. I love what kind of what it says about mending a broken heart. I love what it says about having a broken heart. Yeah. I just love everything about it. And I love the way it can say it can say it all in 45 minutes visually. Now the songs playing and the songs have lyrics and, you know, you can learn the lyrics, but this is a visual thing. It's, it's telling the story just through the music and through the visuals. But the songs, uh, you know, I'm, not, I, I'm very, very much not doing a podcast about music because that's not, <laughs> yeah. that's not my forte. Kev, you know me. My favorite song ever is Death Note opening. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I love this. I love this as an album. I have it. I have it. I have it. On, I listen to this on YouTube all the time just as an album. I think the songs are fantastic. They have a fucking energy to them. I Like I said, I'm not going to um, go on about their genre, critique the songs themselves. <laughs> yeah. That's not what I'm. That's not what I'm, not, ain't what I'm about. It ain't what I'm about. But um, yeah, like I said, I can't quite go on about it like you did with the outer wild this isn't a 10 out of 10 game but i played this back in a few years ago two years ago or so and i'm i've played it about three times since i've it's a very fucking quick interesting but um affecting game and i've been intermittently listening to the album ever since you know it's a it's a game that's kind of stayed with me in that sense and uh if you can find anyone can find this game for cheap because it's so short i couldn't recommend it more i could not recommend it more yeah, like I, I, I knew very little about it, um, other than I've seen some sort of some footage of it and some screenshots and stuff, and it is visually stunning. It is an absolutely gorgeous game. It's all neon purples and blacks and greens and stuff. Yeah, it's very kind of uh, cyberpunky in a weird way. Yeah, I think I'll definitely put that one on my radar. I think it's it definitely sounds like something I'd be into. If you ever have, if it's ever like just like a, a rainy day, you know, when you're eating Ben and Jerry's, having one of those days, Kev, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I'm like I, I say it without any shame or embarrassment. I I I am not gonna say it brought me to tears. This isn't Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Trials and Tribulations, a game that actually brought me to tears when I was nineteen because I'm a fucking gun. Yeah. <laughs> this game really moved me. Really I, moved me. If, if I remember that story correctly, Liam, was was you were brought to tears by like an audio cue, wasn't it? It wasn't even something that was happening on screen. They brought music back from the first Ace Attorney. In the, in the third Ace Attorney game, in the, in the final moment of it, they brought music back from the first Ace Attorney game at a really hype moment. And the hype hit me so hard that actually tears run down my face. 
That's why are we talking about sign, why are we talking about Sayonara Wildcards? But it really just uh, the final song this game, or maybe the second last song. I want to say the culmination of this game mm-hmm. um, hit me like a ton of bricks, and I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, it sounds. It definitely sounds interesting. Um, given the length, is, I mean, it is something that I guess it's sort of people have to make their own judgment on the value of it. That, like as you said in, in your intro to this bit, you know, the the length of a game doesn't determine what it's worth but as you also said you know it's still money oh 100 percent. and i don't i don't begrudge anyone not wanting to play short games because uh, i've always tried to play what i find interesting despite what the what the cost is which means i've spent a lot of money on games you know <laughs> probably, probably i should but it's, i've always tried to play what i think is good but uh uh times be tough for a lot of people you know and you can't sure. really kind of so i think but like i said if stuff like Game Pass grows and grows more in popularity and that becomes more of the norm, you know, kind of subscription services, that's the best way you're going to get games like this um, being played by more people. And I would love more people to play Sign Out Wildcard. It's on everything. It's even on iOS. Yeah. It's on like PS4 and um, Switch, Windows. It's on It's on everything. Yeah, it, it's funny that, you, you know, you'd mentioned the Game Pass thing there because I think, I might be wrong, but I think it's the only game we've spoken about today that isn't on the PS Plus game collection. Really? I think, yeah, I think Celeste, Hollow Knight, Outer Wilds, Observer. Telling Lies? Telling Lies, yeah. I think they're they're all on the, the middle so, tier of PS Plus. Sign so there you go, I think is the only one that isn't. So there you go, folks. If you sign up for PlayStation's sort of middling <laughs> subscription <laughs> service, you, yeah. you can get some fantastic games. Because middling though it may be, we talked about some fantastic games there, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And I kind of there's a couple of games I want to talk about for ages there, so this was a good, um, good way to get them out there. And I, I was delighted to finally talk about Hollow Knight, Kev, because yeah, you know that game is something special, yeah, right? Something special, and I will get on Outer Wilds. That game sounds absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Now that we're getting towards the end, do you think you feel comfortable in revealing what that, the game was that didn't quite make it? Yeah. Okay. It's a game. It's probably my favorite one. It's probably my favorite story-driven game of all time. And I want to dedicate a full episode to it. Um, okay. Maybe just a little... Uh, let's keep I'll it a secret, it though. Okay, I'll keep it a secret. Um, uh, let's leave it there. So, Kev, this was this was a really fun one. I yeah, I enjoyed this. I'm, and I'm glad um, we got to do six. <laughs> glad we didn't both say Hollow Knight, Celeste. Because <laughs> that was a huge possibility, especially with those two games. Cards, all right, yeah. <laughs> so that's fantastic. And um, thanks so much for joining Hey Look Listen. Who were you? Kev, who were you? I'm Kev. <laughs> and i was liam sheehan thanks so much for joining us bye now thanks bye (laughs) i had no idea what you're on about (laughs) perfect